Patrick Stokes is the executive vice president of platform shared services at Salesforce, and he first got into technology the same way many other leaders first get into technology, through video games. Games such as Quake and Doom have a special place in Patrick's heart, not only because of how fun they are, but because they were open source. The open source aspect is what sparked Patrick's interest in technology and has kept him rising through the industry. Today, Patrick is continuing to utilize his passion and drive his interest toward all of the innovative things he and his team are working on at Salesforce. He discusses that and more on this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform. This episode is part of a special series on the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the platform that powers the world's number one CRM. In this series, executives from Salesforce will discuss how using 10 innovative technologies, including AI, blockchain, and automation, can help you drive the digital transformation of every experience and get you closer to your customers. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we are at Salesforce Tower, close to the top floor, sort of. <laughs> um, Patrick, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, so we have, uh, we have a great podcast coming. We're going to be talking identity, privacy, and trust. The big three, as it were. And we're going to get into your backgrounds. So first, how did you get started in technology? Yeah, uh, I got started pretty early on. My dad was uh, did did a few decades at IBM, so I was exposed to tech uh, really early on. But I, I actually got started playing video games. So 12 years old, 1992 or so, playing Doom and then Quake. And uh, if you're familiar in that space, John Carmack, who wrote these games with John Romero, they opened up their platform and uh, made it so that other developers could come in and kind of build mods and expand on the on the gaming platform. And so... So that's where I got started playing the games, love the games. I'd play for hours a day and my mom and dad hated it. I'd be locked <laughs> up in the room there while my friends were out playing basketball or something. And uh, over time, I just started to kind of try to teach myself to code and taught myself how to how to put web pages together and got myself more and more exposed to the world by playing playing video games. What was your favorite game? Favorite game was Quake 2. I was... Uh, Reasonably competitive in Quake Two. I uh, I still like to think of myself as a competitive <laughs> Quake Quake player. I, I still play games every day, but yeah, Quake Two was uh, was the game. I'd play probably hundreds of hours worth of worth of Quake Two and did a little bit of uh, competition, touring around, trying yeah. to trying to win tournaments. And back then, you could you could win a little bit of money, not like not like today. I know. But, do uh, you feel Do you feel like like flash forward to now? Esports is so big. It's like totally different world. It's a totally different world. Uh, I think it's funny. I think a lot of people saw it coming back in the '90s, but it just never, it never really hit. But man, it's it's unbelievable now. I don't think people really give it credit. You can go out to to places like South Korea and China and Japan, and you'll find tournaments there that make the Super Bowl look tiny. It's yeah. it's unbelievable, and not just the people in the stadium, but the people watching online. It's really it's unbelievable how much of an industry there is there. Well, yeah. So flash forward to today uh, in your role as, as EVP, tell me a little bit about what you're working on, what you're excited about and the scope of your work. Yeah. So I run uh, a group here at Salesforce uh, called Platform Shared Services, which is the kind of underlying collection of, of tools that shape the, the Salesforce platform. And specifically, it's, it's our customer 360 group, which we'll probably talk a lot about today, our Einstein capabilities and, uh, and our lightning capabilities. 
And so kind of like, what does that team look like? Are you working on primarily product? Are you working on anything internally? Uh, what does that look like? Yeah. So it's, it's certainly a mix of both, right? So what we're, what we're trying to do is obviously everything is about customer success and bringing products together that help our customers be more successful. But a lot of what we're doing is helping us, uh, helping our own teams and our partners expand the platform as well. So when you think about our clouds, our sales, our service, our marketing cloud, for example, we want to build AI capabilities that our customers can use, but we also want to build AI capabilities that our internal teams and our partners can use as well to really expand their own clouds and innovate within their own, uh, within their own applications. So we kind of look across both. Yeah. I think I always find that so fun about Salesforce, just like, you know, I mean, everybody, every company has their own version of, you know, like whatever Salesforce on Salesforce or, you know, whatever, whatever you name it. Yeah. Um, I always, I always think it's so funny because when you're like walking around the offices as we were today, it's like everybody's using Salesforce, you know? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of crazy. Every everyone's using Salesforce. In fact, I see it even outside the world too. You get it, get on planes and you look yeah. up, and then people have their Salesforce console up. So it's uh, it's been a fun ride with with Salesforce. That's for sure. Let's get into uh, the state of privacy, identity, and trust. Sure. Um, like, well, I guess what's the state? of identity. We've talked a little bit about it on the podcast, but I'm curious to see like what do you kind of think is like the scope of the problem? I think the the challenge that we have with identity today that Salesforce has and our customers have and really really anyone has is that it's it's disconnected. I think that's kind of the the macro state. You have multiple different types of identity. Some, you know, in the martech and ad tech world, they would talk about identity in the context of a cookie or a yeah. device ID, right? And being able to connect those Sometimes in the marketing world and in the commerce world, you're talking about you know a subscriber to an email or a guest shopper. And as you go further further in, you start to get closer and closer to kind of fully authenticated identity, right? So people actually logging into your website, maybe even verifying an email address or verifying a cell phone number. And so as you follow that path down, you kind of have somewhat unknown anonymous identity through all the way through to fully authenticated. But the challenge that you'll have is across all of your uh, all of your different customer touch points, right? Your website, your mobile app, your e-commerce store, your service center, your CRM application, whatever it is, these are all varying systems of record and they all store varying pieces of that customer identity. And so the challenge that we're trying to help our customers solve is how do we connect all of that identity together? How do we resolve it together into something that looks more like a single source of truth about who your customer is? Once you have that, you can actually start to kind of build the connected experiences across commerce and service, for example, that you really want to achieve. Yeah, and so I think, you know, like, I always thought one of the the prime examples of this was, you know, back in the day going to Dreamforce and having like your account that gets you sure. your Dreamforce ticket versus your you're laughing. Yeah, I'm laughing. So this is so what you're describing here is is um, I use this all the time internally. This is Salesforce's own struggle with identity, right? So you say Salesforce on Salesforce, right? We don't we have a lot of the same problems that our customers have, and we go and we'll go try to solve them. And this is a great example of it. We have our Trailblazer community. We have our help and training yep. portal. We have our events app and. Years ago, those were all completely disconnected identities, and you'd really struggle kind of going back and forth between them. We've made a lot of progress with Trailblazer ID, yeah. uh, which you may, might have now, which is that single identity. It's a single relationship between you as an individual with Salesforce. And so now, what? however you're interacting with Salesforce, whether it's 
as a customer and part of a community or signing up for Dreamforce, you're using one identity. And that really helps us internally keep track of what's going on with our community. It helps us market to them better and sell to them better and and ultimately service them better and create a better experience overall. Well, I think that, you know, as you all have rolled out customer 360 and this idea of like what that means and what that means to your customers, it's really any company that is trying to figure out if a person comes to them, whether it's on the website or whether it's via phone call or whether it's whatever way that is, that you know who that person is and that you can identify them and communicate to them in an effective way. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's it's a crux of every CIO now because, number one, who owns that? Like, who owns that experience? Is it marketing? Is it IT? Is it product? Who, like, who does that? So, like, what have you kind of seen from best practices on, on who owns that kind of experience? What we're seeing is is really encouraging recently is that people are starting to own it. So I think you're exactly right. In the in the in the past, nobody's really owned it, right? It's the the service people kind of own their their service application and they're thinking about, you know, how do we manage our call center and make sure that our calls are being routed through to the appropriate and then you know, your marketing people and your commerce people, they kind of all own their individual little empires. And I think what's happened is we've seen this trend with these digitally native companies, right? Like an Uber or uh, even an Amazon in a way who have created these really cohesive customer experiences across any touch point. And that's put a tremendous amount of emphasis on customers or brands to really care about what is that end-to-end experience, that customer experience look like uh, for them. So in some cases, it's the CIOs. In some cases, it's the CMOs. But what we're also seeing is that that's, it's being delegated down from the CEO now. And in some cases, the board. At the board level and the CEO level, we now care about customer experience, which is really creating an, a, a pretty incredible opportunity for, for Salesforce. Yeah, I, I don't think we actually shared this on the show, but I was talking to head of engineering at a company that delivers like a food delivery app. Yep. And they're saying that basically like their website traffic is like so much lower than you would think because like all of their business is done through the application, right? Sure. And so the the speed that they had in which they could just continue to develop this app and have one source of truth for all of this was great until, like we were saying, Maybe you have a conference or maybe you have some additional you know, piece of this. Maybe you have more applications that you're going to build. And then all of a sudden, all of the work that you built on that, for the, in their case, it was the website, which has kind of just been left on the side for seven years and just doesn't really have that functionality. Now you need to figure out a way to marry all that stuff together. That's exactly right. And that's the problem that we're trying to solve. The notion that you can build all of your all of your kind of customer touch points on one piece of technology is often referred to as, as a holy grail. And yeah. it'll kind of always be that, right? In reality, the world is federated and it's going to stay federated for a long time. What does that mean? It means you're always going to have different pieces of technology, right? Powering your uh, your customer experience. So take the conference example, right? You might have your mobile app and you've built this amazing product and you have this amazing community for your customers. And then one day you want to have a conference, right? You're probably going to go find a vendor who's run conferences before and has some conference registration application, yep. right? That you can use. And you do that because it's fast and it's cost effective. 
perspective. And you should be able to do that. We want to enable you to go pick the very best piece of software that you can use to make sure that you have a great conference. But at the same time, we want to make sure that all of this data and all of this kind of identity information that you have about your customers can communicate with that conference software in a really cohesive way. And that's ultimately what we're trying to solve is to kind of create that integration centered around your customer identity, right? And that's why we call this the Customer 360 platform. It's really about making sure that everything that we build is built in a customer-centric way, but not just for Salesforce. We want to enable this for any piece of, of software IT technology that you bring in. And that's, you know, we we recently were talking to, to MuleSoft about this. You know, yep. the average company is doing... 900 systems. Totally. So, and it's getting worse, really. Yeah. If you look at uh, if you look at what's happening in cloud, right? It's now it's very easy to easy, right? But you can spin up a, a new company and a, and a new technology very quickly now because of the cloud, right? You yeah. don't have to worry about infrastructure and data centers. You just pick your developers. You find the business problem you want to solve, and you're off and running. And before you know it, you've got customers on there. And likewise, it's very easy to buy those softwares now, right? Customers are very used to being able to go to a website, put in a credit card, and be up and running with their new application. And so there's a proliferation happening of different systems, right? And so things like MuleSoft and Customer360 are attempting to kind of graph those together because we want to enable that. We want you to go out and be able to buy and use all of those different systems, uh, but we want you to do it in a customer-centric way. I think we kind of know what the cost of getting this wrong is, but you know, for the sake of conversation here, like what is the what is the cost of getting identity wrong? Like you, like you, like we were kind of talking about the kind of clunky experience where you sign on to an application for, you know, an event or otherwise or some sort of, you know, similar but different product and it doesn't really know and it's asking you all the same questions again and you have to create a new login and all that. Like, was there some sort of like scope of this or like sprawl of this problem that's like dollars spent on this per year or is it just kind of the gradual kind of like creep of death of your customers just kind of being like, this is not what I... And paying for. I think there's been a creep of death. I think we're going to see that that creep of death, though, rapidly accelerate as more and more companies figure it out and and kind of set the bar. What I like to say often is we're in a world where we're no longer competing just purely based on our product. Right? Yeah. In previous decades, you could have an amazing, amazing product. And if your customer experience, right, if your experience of interacting with that company was not so great, it was okay because the, the, you were just happy that you had the best product. Today's buyers think about it a little bit differently. It's not necessarily just the product. It's the total end-to-end experience. They want to feel known. They want to feel like everything is connected and that if they call in or uh, or whatever problem that they're having or just whatever experience that they're having, it needs to be connected. Because if it's not, they'll go fine. It's very quick now to pull out your phone, download the new app, and you get a different car service coming to pick you up, right? It's not hard to switch. The switching costs are so low. Well, and I think that's that's part of the piece on this for, you know, the hashtag delete whatever it is, um, which we see, you know, a different thing every week where it's like, it's just so easy. And I think younger generations, I've talked about this on the show before, um, we went on a company offsite and uh, some of our our younger employees were just like, they use an app and then delete it immediately already. So it's (laughs) like, if you're spending all that effort to get these apps and they're going to get deleted anyways, and then they're going to get re-downloaded when they want to use them, you need to figure out a way that when that happens, if that is if that's user behavior, that 
you have a solution to figure out when they do come back that yeah. you know who the heck they are. Yeah, that's right. And I'll, I'll give you an example, right? I'm, I'm sure you've downloaded an app before where the first screen you get is like, give me your name, give me your email address, give me your cell phone number, confirm the email address. You have to bounce out and yep. go to, you know, open up your email, wait and click it. And, and it's just a, it's a clunky, long experience, right? And then you've probably also seen the ones where you log in and it just says, type in your phone number, right? Yep. Uh, or you don't log in. That is the login. It's just type in your phone number and it sends you a code. And Apple has this great experience. Android has it as well now where it'll just read the text and you're not even copying and pasting the code. The code yeah. just goes right in and yep. you're in the app, right? Yep. And it's done. And you you can delete that app and then heck you can throw away that phone yeah. and go get a whole new phone because your cell phone, your number is actually now become part of your identity. You're going to carry your cell phone number with you for your whole life, just like you're doing with your, your email address. And so you go get a new phone, you download that app. It's just put in your phone number and you're off and running. You know, it, it immediately knows who you are and it's a much faster, better experience. And those things matter now. They will block people from uh, those kind of clunky login experiences or, uh, or welcome back experiences will block, block kids from using your app. They'll walk away from it. What about privacy as you know, and clearly there's all sorts of uh, legal stuff going on with how privacy is tracked. And, you know, we saw the like cookie apocalypse that happened <laughs> uh, a few months back where now every everybody asks us to accept cookies on every website now. Sure. So clearly privacy is like top of mind. Yeah. Um, how should CIOs look at creating a seamless customer experience with, you know, identity at, at the front without being someone that is, you know, risking privacy. Concerns. Yeah. So I think uh, one thing that's that's really interesting and it's almost counterintuitive, right, is that the more capability you have around understanding your, your customer's identity across all of the apps, the more of an opportunity you have to actually lean in to keeping that data private and to having a private relationship with that customer. So I'll kind of play that out here a little bit to make it tangible. If you think about uh, the GDPR or CCPA world right now, there's kind of a fundamental topic around the right to be forgotten, right? Mm -hmm. So your customer should be able to call you or email you or go to a website and they should be able to say, I would like you to forget everything that you know about totally. me. Well, we talked earlier about we have these hundreds of systems, right? MuleSoft is saying two, 900 plus systems is your average, right? And that's growing and growing. So forgetting your customer is actually a very, very challenging thing to do 100%. unless you have all of those systems connected around identity. Now, imagine a world instead where you have all of these systems, but every time you're bringing a new system into your, uh, into your ecosystem at your company, you're connecting to some single ID for your customer, right? And now your customer goes and says, I'd like to be forgotten. There's now a graph of where all of that customer data lives. So rather than some, uh, frankly, poor person, a poor person probably within your legal department that has to go system by system by system, like searching for yep. your customer's data and it takes forever. Now we can just say, Here, we know exactly where all of your data is and we know how it's being used and we can surface that back to the consumer, right? So really what I coach CIOs with all the time is you, you want to lean into this. The more connected your customer data can be, the better kind of privacy experience that ultimately you can give back. Yeah, we were talking to uh, Lev, the CIO of uh, Arizona State University, mm -hmm. about you know leveraging blockchain for this mm -hmm. and uh, leveraging Salesforce and blockchain to be able to know like, it's one thing when you're talking about like Arizona State systems, for example, but what about when you need to communicate with other universities or other, you know, things and you know, their approach in taking, you know, lead on this and, you know, taking a lead on digital transformation was like, 
it has to be immutable. It has to be single source of truth. Like it has to be something that when you're, when you start dealing with multiple parties, now you have levels of complexities that you are out of your control. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there are, yeah, we forgot them in our system, but, or we remember them in our system, but does the other party remember them? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Blockchain will absolutely help you with that. And, and really any of this integration is going to help you with that. The world that we're in now, kind of the the anti-privacy world, so to speak, is this world where every time you take that conference example, right? You're gonna you're gonna go back. You're gonna start a conference. You're gonna go find a um, a vendor to to run your conference. What often happens is people will go into their customer database. They'll export a list of their customers. They'll put it on some some server somewhere where the conference team can come in and Mm -hmm. grab it and install it into their application, right? And a bunch of really bad things have happened there, right? You've exported customer data in plain text. You've put it on a a server that you're probably going to forget about, right? And somebody's going to go and find that later. This is how data breaches happen all the time. So by actually kind of integrating it more at at the ID level and the API level, we can eliminate all of that need to kind of pick data up and move it around. It becomes a much safer place. How do you communicate that with the customer? Like, because again, this is these two things kind of feel like they might be at odds for some companies, or it's like, hey, we're going to know, we want to know everything about you to serve you better. But like the person just kind of hears, we want to know everything about you and forgets yeah. the last part. Yeah. Well, so I, I certainly wouldn't, I would never advise a, we want to know everything about you kind of approach, right? The world that I described earlier of just, just give me your cell phone number, right? So I can at least I, identify you as yep. a, as a person behind a phone and then let's just work you into the, into the app or the experience and let's build value over time. And if you're telling me things about you along the way that are adding value back to you, then great. In other words, let's, let's build this progressively while we're kind of mutually exchanging value back and forth for every piece of new data that we get. What we don't want to see happen is a tell me everything about you kind of approach, create your whole profile, upload an avatar picture, give me your nine interests, right? How old are you? All we're doing there is building a a demographic about you and we're not exchanging any information, any value back. Um, And those are the kinds of experiences I think that'll get left behind. Do you think that there's a way to like show that to communicate that effectively to customers? Um, 100%. I think we have to. I think this is the opportunity. I think once we start to better integrate these systems and better connect the identities that we have across all of these systems, we have not only an opportunity, but I think a responsibility to surface that information back to our customer, right? Or to your customer's customer, to the end consumer. So you can imagine logging into, uh, you know, any of the apps that you have on your phone. I think there is going to be a world very, very soon where it becomes a norm where you can go into that app and say, tell me exactly how and where my data is and how it's being used. I, I think that is a responsibility of every CIO to lean into. You recently, we just finished up Dreamforce, a raucous affair as always. <laughs> you had a new announcement product launch. Can you share more about that? Yeah. So, uh, so we launched uh, a number of things. The first is a product that we're calling uh, Customer 360 Data Manager, which really is the, the linchpin of connecting data across Salesforce systems and across your external systems. So what we're doing is effectively building this, this identity graph that I'm talking about. We're looking across all of your different systems, figuring out where you have customer data, and attempting to issue a single ID for your customer. And that enables all sorts of easier, more frictionless uh, integrations between those systems without having to do the bad practices that I described before where you're picking up data and moving it around the systems. 
We also uh, were really excited. We launched something called the Cloud Information Model, or SIM, uh, which is something we're super psyched about. So this is a this is an open source data model that we've launched with um, a number of partners to really kind of come to some alignment across all of these technology vendors about how we communicate at the data layer, for example, what a what an individual should look like or what an order should look like. And this will really make it immensely easier for customers to kind of integrate across systems. So we can't do this in just the Salesforce ecosystem as much as we'd like to yeah, and think totally. that the, you know, the world revolves around Salesforce, but people are using AWS, people are using uh, Microsoft, people are using SAP, the people are using all sorts of different systems. And if we can come to some mutual alignment on how that data should be structured across the systems, we can really make these integrations better for our customers. Uh, so we're really excited about that from an open source yeah. uh, concept. This is something that we're all kind of contributing to and aligning on internally. But it's also something our customers can get involved with, which is really interesting. So take, for example, uh, you know, a multinational global uh, CPG company that has, you know, hundreds of brands and a really complex data model. They can actually come in and contribute to this open source data model as well, which is really interesting. Let's talk AI as it relates to identity, because I think that you know, if you go in the in the wayback machine of you take Salesforce for example, CRM, you know, sales reps sitting there, you know, inputting information sure. as uh, the YouTube video that I said, you know, what's your dog's name? What's your cat's name? Sort of a thing. <laughs> but now with with AI, we'll be able to be more predictive and proactive with how we you know look at customers and what they want. Yeah, I'm just curious, like, what does AI look like as it relates to identity? Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is the kind of MarTech and, and ad tech dream world, right, is yeah. to is to know as much about an individual as possible so that we can kind of predict what they're going to do next. Right. So if you look at a lot of the uh, the MarTech providers or even your, your e-commerce providers, right, they're all trying to do similar things like, hey, they're on the website or they're looking at an email. Let's make sure we're recommending the, the appropriate product. Right. And we've all had these experiences where you might go to a clothing retailer, buy a product, and then a day later, you're getting ads for the very shirt that you just bought, right? Yeah, totally. That's an example of just a really terrible experience. And the reason it's terrible is because you have some disconnected identity. Your system that is kind of feeding the ads into Google to show up in search or Facebook or Instagram to show up in your feed is disconnected from your commerce system Absolutely. Um, that's bought it. So the world that we want to get to is where we have those identities connected, and then we can actually start to push the interactions or the um, the transactions that you have with a brand, right? A visit to a website, a case that you've opened or a product that you've purchased, kind of all funneling into one orchestration engine uh, so that we can better kind of orchestrate the future interactions or the ads that you see uh, or the products that we recommend when you land on the web page. Yeah. And you, I mean, and to take it, you know, into the, to the service, then the customer success portion of this, you know, if, if it's that sweater that you bought being predictive and saying like, hey, most people who bought this sweater, you know, roll it up and throw it in their backpack because it gets cold in the mornings in San Francisco during, you know, I don't know. And uh, there, 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 there's a cold snap coming up. I guess you don't have a cold snap here. I, in I don't, I'm not familiar with this problem. I'm from New York. We put our sweater on in the morning. We leave it on all day. <laughs> uh, or it's 110 degrees and we just wear a T-shirt. Those are our options. Yeah, there's no there's, there's no, no in between. between. No. Uh, there's summer and then there's winter. That's right. Yeah. Um, Spring and fall are foreign to us now. Uh, but yeah, like helping you use the product, giving you insights to how people use the product, 
giving you insights about how maybe your company is not using the product. Those are the things that I really think are are so interesting from an identity standpoint because like it helps you know yourself a little bit better. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that you know the the vision here, and and in a lot of ways, um, people are kind of already realizing this vision, but it's it's the friction to get there is maybe a little bit more expensive than people would like today. But the idea here is it's not just about the individual. It's also about the kind of audience, right, or the collection of individuals. And so if we can look at people in San Francisco that are within a certain demographic, and maybe we even have some calculated attributes as well, like they also happen to be high loyalty members or have a, a, yeah. a, you know, a customer lifetime value of, of whatever, if we can start to kind of group those in individuals in, in aggregate, anonymously, by the way, but in aggregate, we can start to market to those groups of people uh, or sell to those or service those people in more personalized ways. And the reason we can do that, it comes back to identity because we're able to kind of have the broader collection of transactions that the customers had across all of your different sales, service, commerce, and marketing systems all in one place, right? When they're all disconnected, it's very hard to do. We can look at people who are likely to buy this product or this product, but maybe we can't look at cases that you've had and kind of tailor that based on cases that you've opened in the past or, you know, conferences that you've been to or whatever. Being able to bring all that together creates a much more cohesive view of your customer and ultimately your customer base, all of the different segments of your customers. What is the craziest product launch you've been a part of? Oh man, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a personal story. This it's a non Salesforce story. So I've always been. I said earlier that I I got my start building on this platform that John Carmack built in Quake, and I've kind of always taken my direction from a broader platform. And in the early to, or late two thousands or so, I was uh, one of the first developers on the Facebook platform. Right when they kind of launched the ability to build custom applications on Facebook. So yeah. people were building games, yeah. you, know, you know, Zynga. It's like tons of games. Oh, tons yeah. of games. Yeah. yeah. So I was one of the first there. I built an application called Matches, which uh, it literally was Tinder uh, about five years too early. Crazy. But it was pretty cool. You would go to your uh, profile of someone you had a crush on and you would click a button and say, I have a crush on this person. And then they would get an anonymous message and you could chat anonymously. And then if they coincidentally said they had a crush on you, in other words, That's the match, crazy. then it would reveal. It was a lot of fun. So this, the reason this was fun, and I'm not going to share too many details, but this is before Facebook kind of had a, a proper ad platform. Yeah. And so you could build these applications. This is how Zynga and a number of other these companies got so big so fast is you could put your own ads yeah. basically into the Facebook ecosystem. Yep. And so we did that and we had a whole bunch of monthly active users and we just had, there was like a, a two month period of just crazy ad, uh, ad money rolling in and then Facebook said, Nope, it's yeah. gone and and turned it off. So uh, so I think that was that was my that was my most fun, and I learned a heck of a lot doing that. You learn a lot about about how to build technology and architectures when you're dealing with B two C scale like Facebook. So totally. it was a lot of fun. We we've had a similar. I've heard a similar story to that where basically like on the gaming side, where it was like imagine like so many people that were like hungry for games mm -hmm. that could play on here. I mean, I remember playing 
what was that? Like mafia wars or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, mafia wars. Mafia sure. wars got yeah. like enormous, like overnight. Yeah. And you're just like completely piggybacking off of the scale of a platform that's reaching that many people. That's right. Yeah. It's a wonderful problem to have, but it's also when you're the developer on the other end of the keyboard trying to trying to get your database back up. Yeah. It's, it can be not as much fun. Well, so, so and then we did um we had a really fun conversation with uh, the CTO of Niantic uh, and talking about Pokemon Go. And mm-hmm. I forget the exact number. I always get this wrong, but it was like, it was something like they were doing like a million downloads a second or something mm-hmm. like crazy like that. It's just gaming is so exciting because, and we've had a bunch of gaming episodes on IT Visionaries, but it's just such a fun space because it's so, it's so quick to adopt and word of mouth spreads so fast mm-hmm. when people like a game mm-hmm. um, and it's like this perfect proving ground to like test ideas and to do things to create create these custom games final questions before we get into the lighting round here sure. what are you excited about for future of gaming future of gaming great question you know i really want i really want stadia google stadia to work out mm-hmm. this this ability to to basically play a game completely over the wire over the internet not have to not have to download. We've seen this shift to go from, totally. you know, cartridges and CD-ROMs, and now you don't even need that. You just you, you go on Steam and you, you buy your game and you download. There's a, I think there's a future coming. We'll see if we can pull it off where you don't even need to do that. You just, you just start playing the game over the internet, kind of like Netflix. Yeah. Um, and that'll be, that'll be really exciting. And it'll have, uh, it'll have, in order to do it right, we're going to see, we're going to have to see a bunch of kind of significant, but really awesome advancements in, in kind of home internet, right. Fiber to, yep. to homes. But we're also going to see some advancements in, in TVs, right. And how, you know, you can't get all that many frames on your TVs and frames are super important in yep. video games, right. Frames per second. So, uh, so I think that's what I'm most excited about, uh, about seeing. We were at Ubiquity six uh, interviewing their team and uh, we got some cool stuff that we got to look at that we can't share. But um, <laughs> I think you're exactly right. And like the idea that you can like tap in, especially like with a web browser and just like immediately play. Yeah. And it's like so fascinating. Yeah. Because you're like, it completely changes, you know, when you have a phone that's a console and or it's everything <laughs> and you can leverage that and just like immediately just go to a website and boom, you're, you're live is just fascinating. Yeah. It changes the whole, the whole delivery mechanism. And, and for, you know, to your point earlier on games, that's, that's been the story of the gaming industry forever. Right. Um, you you know, you look at, you go all the way back. If you look at the success of, of doom and before that Wolfenstein 3d and before Mm -hmm. that commander keen, these are all, these are all id software games. They did it because they made it free, right? Yeah. They made it shareware. Well, kids don't know what shareware means anymore, but uh, but back in the day, right? It was like let's just make this free, and we'll send the game out. And we'll give them two levels, and then and then so that you know they had that virality because mm-hmm. it was easy to get. Um, and then Blockbuster, right? Mm-hmm. And you could go and you yep. could just try your game, right? Uh, and now Steam, kind of bringing everything together, and so. So it's it's all about the delivery mechanism of the game that kind of uh, and and mobile. That's what'll keep the industry alive. All right, let's get into lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. And we have a twist on these because Thanksgiving is coming up. And so we're going to have some Thanksgiving-themed questions. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. See, that's why we say it's like Christmas, but without all the annoying presents. It's just family (laughs) and good times. And food and naps and football. It's all great. Yeah. All right, lightning round. You know, as you already know this. The lightning round 
is brought to you by our friends at the Salesforce Customer 360 platform. You cool. already know this That's stuff. That's me. That's you. Uh, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. If you haven't been there, go do it. Go check it out. You heard all the cool stuff Patrick was talking about. Check out salesforce.com slash platform. Lightning round questions. Patrick, are you ready? Ready. Number one, what is your favorite side? You know, as soon as you said Thanksgiving, I knew exactly what question you were going to ask. I knew you were going there. For me, green bean casserole. You know oh. the green bean casserole? GBC, all right. Yeah, all yeah. right. With the uh, crun crunchy onions on top. Yeah, the crunchy. Solid. So do you go with the, uh, what is it, the uh, French's onions or whatever they're no, called? No, yeah. So I make my own. I, I'll, okay. I'll like make the the soup and get the cream and do the whole thing. And, wow, all homemade? And all homemade, yeah. Do you fry, do you like fry the onions? I, I, it depends on the, it depends. I've fried the onions before and then my kids are seven and three now. And so the Thanksgiving morning frying the onions with a seven and three year old is becoming <laughs> more difficult. So fried turkey or baked turkey? Baked turkey. Do you go stuffing in the bird or outside of the bird? Both, because you can't get enough in there for for people to eat. So you, you put it in the bird and you bake a bunch and then you mix it all together at the end. What is the largest Thanksgiving you've been a part of? Oh, man, my uncle does Thanksgiving and we're up to like uh, close to 40 people now. 40? Yeah. What's the biggest turkey? There's, well, we're at a point where you got to buy more than one turkey. Oh, geez. Yeah. So are you we're, doing multiple ovens? We're yeah, we're talking. So there's neighbors and they got turkeys in their ovens and then they come over. Yeah. We, I got to, where's, where's this happening? Jersey. Where, yeah. Jersey. Come oh, to Jersey. It's in yeah. Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> that many turkeys, that many ovens. Um, what is your best advice for a first time SVP of technology? Oh, man. That's a, that's out of left field. Uh, <laughs> on Thanksgiving or just any day, do you mean? Actually, yeah. What is your <laughs> advice for a SVP technology on Thanksgiving? And then we'll do just in general. I yeah. Think. I mean, on Thanksgiving, definitely don't don't look at your phone. That would be advice. Yeah. Unless you're checking your fantasy score, I would say don't look at your phone. Any other day, I mean, I, for me, my the advice that I always give people is that this job is all about relationships. I think it's really important to know to know your customer, to know all of the people that help bring software together. It's not just a product manager. It's not just an engineer. You've got UX, you've got doc, you've got legal, you've got sales, right? You've got to be connected with the folks that are actually out in the field selling your, 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 your product. So for me, I've found my success and by, by really getting to know the people that kind of make up the whole end-to-end -end of, of a product and getting it out to market. I think that's the best thing you can do. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? I was going to say that one, but that's maybe a little <laughs> too meta. Uh, you know, I think that the best question that I'd like to be asking that I like to ask people is just, what are you doing this weekend? What are you doing this weekend? This weekend, uh, well, I got to fly back home on Friday. And then, man, I don't know what I'm doing this weekend. I should probably find out. Probably hanging with the kiddos. Well, we're definitely hanging with the kiddos. The question is, what are we doing with the kiddos? <laughs> yeah, no, we're definitely hanging with the kiddos. But I, you know, that to me, that question is, uh, you can go out and have dinner with somebody or go out for a beer with somebody after work or whatever it is, and you're going to end up talking a lot about work. But if you're just in the hallway passing, what are you doing this weekend? You can learn a lot about somebody's life outside of work. That's a great in, point. In just a few seconds. 
I love that. Well, Patrick, thanks so much for hanging out today. This has been awesome. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? No, nothing to nothing to plug. Thank you, though. I really, uh, really appreciate this. This was a lot of fun. I've never been on a podcast, so this was hey, great. Here we go. I, I really enjoyed it. Well, we'll have to have you back. Thanks again. Thank you so much. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.